Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Welcome everybody, I'm David Rinaldi, Director of Studies and Policies at FEPS. Welcome to this new episode of FEPS Talks. We are super glad to host today Cinzia Alcidi, Director of Research at SEPS and also Head of their Economic Policy Unit. And of course, with Cinzia, the very first question perhaps should go to the way in which we understand uh, the recovery. But also, we are here with her to speak about an interesting and important project led by SEPS, a task force on the new industrial policy to which FEPS contributed as well. Cinzia, in this moment in which a lot of jobs have been lost or put on hold in Europe, why is it relevant to look and to think at the new industrial policy? First of all, uh, many thanks, uh, David, for having me here. It's, um, it's a great pleasure to have this exchange with you this morning. Let me just say a few words uh, as an introduction to the task force and then the industrial policy. Um, the industrial policy task force has been uh, quite a complex exercise because we wanted to do something which is uh, multidisciplinary and multi-stakeholder because we believe that this was really the, the intrinsic nature of the exercise and if we want to come up with something which is uh, really relevant. And uh, when we started uh, this project, uh, we decided really uh, ex and, and together that uh, including a social dimension to the industrial strategy for Europe, an industrial strategy which is really uh, European, was key. And this was also a bit of reaction to the communication of the Commission in 2000, March 2020, in which the social dimension is actually very limited. And uh, only reference to skills, basically, is, um, is in there. Somewhat this is natural, but uh, I think for us, there were really two main points for why having a social uh, dimension to the industrial uh, strategy is important. The first one relates to legitimacy. EU legitimacy. And the second one relates to having a coherent framework with other EU objectives and, and policy. Let me just elaborate quickly on, on these two points. On the points of uh, we want EU legitimacy. I mean, if you want to seriously put industry at the center of an EU growth strategy, new EU growth strategy, you really need to understand what is going on on the labor markets. And this is far from being obvious because the pandemic has altered important transformations happening in the labor market, mostly driven by the green and the digital transition. And the second point, you really need to make sure that labor can contribute to the success of, of this strategy. And this is what actually can make the industrial strategy relevant, uh, having a large support. And if you want coming up with a different narrative in which both the, the industry, if you want, and the objective of competitiveness are stated very clearly, but also in, in which the social dimension and labor are actually contributing to the success of the strategy. I think if we really believe in, in this, we really need to acknowledge that there may be trade-offs. I mean, it's not obvious that uh, coming up with a strategy which enhances competitiveness leads you also to job increases. And, and this is quite fundamental. I mean, you know, technological change may lead you to a situation where replacing people with technology is, is actually quite a natural phenomenon. And then we need to be very aware of these kind of trends. The second 
second kind of trade-off that we may be faced with is that the competitiveness may not be eminent with fairness. In global markets, uh, where downward pressure on, on wages has, has been basically a trend of, uh, of the previous year, there may be some temptation actually to move towards increased competitiveness, which is based on wage cuts. And these are the elements which should really be taken into consideration in a real EU industrial strategy and where there is a call actually for, for policy choices and, and for policy actions. And it's basically looking at these two trade-offs so that we came up with recommendations which are basically focusing on two main pillars. One is job qualities, where job quality, where basically wages, gender equality, social dimension and the social dialogue of wage formation and workplace conditions play an important role. And the second stream of policy recommendations relates to skills, because skills is actually the element of social dimension of the industrial strategy, which can actually contribute to enhanced competitiveness. And if you want to overcome that kind of, of, of trade-off that you may have between competitiveness and job creation. So these were basically the two main streams of policy recommendations, which could lead actually to an announcement of the legitimacy of a true EU industrial strategy. Skills and quality of jobs. Uh, to me, if I package them together, it sounds like a, a sort of a strategy for inclusive labor market. And that, for me, it's in line with the, what the Commission has launched down in the framework of the action plan for the European Social Pillar of boosting employment uh, rates uh, in Europe. That has actually also some advantages from the sustainability of public finances as well, because more people we have in the labor market, more taxes and less expenditure in welfare and safety net that there is. So technically, it is a way to make welfare more competitive, if you want. I agree completely on this, but I think the there is uh, even an additional dimension related to, for instance, the European pillar of, of social rights that you just mentioned. And um, I think the results an issue of policy coherence. I mean, if this is an, an EU strategy, all the EU objectives, all the EU policies should be considered in a consistent and coherent way. I mean, the European pillar of social rights highlights certain social objectives, which should be taken into consideration if we go for all the EU policies where actually the labor is an important input. The other element that I think is important and it's related to this is that if you think of the EU objective of social cohesion, of convergence, which are key pillars of EU policies now for, for decades, but also the instruments which are available under such policies should be considered in the context of the industrial policy in the sense of creating synergies, but also uh, being aware that uh, industrial strategy choices may lead to long-term effect on uh, countries and regions. And it may well be the case which that regions which lag behind because of, uh, for instance, poor infrastructure whether physical or digital, or, or because people lack skills, may make these uh, regions completely outside of the design of industrial policy, which very long-term negative consequences on, on, on those regions. So it is actually very important that objective of, of convergence and uh, social cohesions 
are taken into consideration when thinking of the industrial strategy. And for me, this is also a warning call for member states. I mean, if, if you're a member states and you subscribe to the EU industrial policy, you really need to be aware of the consequences that this would imply for regions in your country. And what kind of, if you want, accompanying policies, national policies, and need to be designed and then put in place from education to infrastructure. I think this is important for credibility of the objectives. And as I said, I think there is an underlying element of legitimacy of having a strategy which has an EU label. I see a big uh, call from your side to take into account the regional uh, implication of the transition that will be led by an industrial strategy. It's very much in line with one of the studies that we've uh, running now at FEPS on unequal Europe. Some, we're, we're doing national studies in different countries exactly to signal that perhaps the intervention of the European Union on regional matters should not be limited to giving funds, but to provide a policy coherence in different fields so that it will be back to be not only a national matter or a regional matter, but also European objective to keep opportunities available in some European region. But you mentioned this idea of pushing on quality of jobs. Uh, that if I'm not wrong, is kind of new in this commission because under Juncker it was a lot of emphasis put on the job creation. And now instead I see and I read and I hear about more and better jobs. So it's a different quality job. If I have seen the statistic of in work poverty, about more than one out of ten Europeans, despite the fact that they are working, that they wake up early in the morning, they go to work, they're still poor and they're still experiencing poverty. So work itself is not uh, a necessary condition to spend a decent life. In the work you've done, what have you identified as ways in which through the European Union cooperation at the European level, we could go? about improving the quality of work? I mean, this idea of um, job quality has been developed by the ADI a lot through the concept of decent work. And more recently, also the OECD has done some work in this direction, trying to identify what are the dimensions of what we call the quality of, of jobs, which are very much related, if you want, to the well-being of workers. And sometimes this is uh, difficult to, to measure, but there uh, pillars, if you want, elements which contribute to the quality of the job, and uh, there we need to, to make most emphasis. In addition to the work done by this organization, I, I think COVID was a game changer in the, in the understanding of quality of job. And this came because if, if you think of what, it, what happened in the context of the health sector and the, the working conditions of, of people in the health sector, and on the other side, we all realized about the existence of platform workers and those mostly low-skilled uh, workers, which usually have, uh, let's call it non-standard contracts, uh, which offer very limited protections in terms of social protection, but also wages tend to be extremely low. Uh, and whereby uh, people are not able uh, actually to, to reach the end of the month in, uh, let's say, in, uh, in an easy way. So in, in this sense, uh, I think that the pandemic was a wake-up call. In the report, what we focus on uh, is the minimum wages. Uh, I mean, the Commission has already worked quite substantially on a new directive of uh, minimum wages. This is uh, something which is different across countries. And, and we believe that this is an initiative which uh, could, could really contribute to fight in-work poverty, to in ensure more or fair uh, conditions for workers without hampering uh, 
basically all the economic uh, dynamics. I mean, uh, this has been minimum wages have been introduced already in some countries, and uh, there is assessment of, of what it implies and negative uh, effects of, of uh, limited. So this is uh, one point. Another point that we highlight relates to the social dialogue. I mean, over the, the years, the importance of social dialogue has gone through the ups and downs. And now that there is quite a return to the, the thinking that uh, actually social dialogue is, is, is an important element, possibly due to the fact that unionization has, has been declining substantially uh, across countries. And that this has been accompanied by a deterioration of working conditions. So even though it's very difficult to establish causality, because th there are actually a lot of changes going on, this sort of parallel trend is quite clear. And even on, on the side of the Commission, which in past year has been quite critical social dialogue, there, there is now to some extent a revamp of an importance for social partners to, to get together uh, to, to discuss and, and come up with an agreement. All the points that, that we highlight when it comes to the um, quality of job is teleworking. I mean, this is something which is very new, but of course it has been imposed to, to most of us by the, the, the pandemic. On the one hand, it, it helps us to save a lot of jobs. Quite some people, including us, are being able to actually work at, at full speed. On the, on the other side, working from, from home, uh, may have also some drawback, both in terms of, of the conditions, the environment that, that everyone can offer to him or herself when working from home, but also that there are some concerns about uh, longer-term effects, which go both in the direction, for instance, of uh, lower creativity, because there is a strong human element of, of getting together and brainstorming, which cannot be kept when uh, working in, in remote. On the other side, there are some concerns about whether this could lead to a, a major trend of change in the relations between the employee and the employer, because basically uh, we may tend to move towards project-based approach and break the, the traditional contracts employer-employee in a company. Thank you, Cinzia. There is also another aspect of EU uh, policies that I wanted to ask you that is still uh, relevant for jobs, but is maybe more of a fiscal nature, even though it looks like an, an employment matter. Shure, on which you have also written, I would say, largely at SEFS. So you have been advocating for uh, an extension of this uh, instrument that the European Union basically constructed almost uh, overnight. SEPS has also been at the forefront of the, you know, studying the European unemployment benefit uh, scheme, advocating uh, over time for a sort of a stabilization function. So I wanted to ask you if you see that this measure somehow to protect employment and to help member states to finance uh, short-term working uh, arrangement is a positive thing and how to reform it, how to make it uh, even more useful. Yes, uh, indeed. We recently wrote a piece because uh, uh, SURE was uh, uh, created about one year ago, so to some extent it was time to make an assessment of uh, how it, it worked. And uh, our assessment is that actually it, it worked smoothly and it was widely used. As you said, it was created basically overnight with some guarantees coming from, from member states. But the, the impact has been quite important. And uh, basically of the 100 billion which were put on the table, about 95 were used or requested. In, in this sense, a, a large number of, of member states were able to put in place these short-term work schemes to protect employment 
So basically to avoid a large uh, layoff in the market in an easy way because uh, they didn't have much concern about increasing their debt and going on financial markets to refinance this debt. Because basically the commission was offering loans at, at very advantageous conditions. So in this sense, it were used and helped member states to, to make savings. If we look at the intrinsic nature of, of sure, uh, this is a transitory, not only because it funds uh, short-term work schemes, so schemes which are transitory, but basically because uh, in principle on the 31st of December 2022, sure will not exist anymore. And this was really created ad hoc to fight the pandemic. And basically what we argue is that uh, without treaty change, uh, just with some political will, uh, basically sure could be transformed in a permanent mechanism. So something that is there for exceptional conditions, but if needed, it could be activated immediately without uh, having to negotiate, uh, basically, guarantees coming from, from member states. So I think this is something that could be done quite easily and could lead uh, actually to important effects in terms of credibility of what the European Union can do. I think one important point, uh, however, uh, needs to be made, and this is linked to, to the unemployment insurance uh, benefit scheme that you mentioned earlier. I think an important point is that these two instruments are not alternative to each other. I mean, uh, SURE has uh, a clear focus on employment, not on unemployment. And these are uh, basically loans which are provided at a very low rate. I mean, of course, on the unemployment insurance scheme, we don't know exactly what kind of, of shape it, it, can, it can take. But even if we, if we take, if you want, the minimum uh, kind of, of scheme that uh, one can, can think of. So the reinsurance uh, scheme, in that case, the focus would really be on unemployment. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's different. Huh? And the, the two concepts are, are different. And the fact that this reinsurance, it would have, if you want, an element of uh, automaticity uh, without having tuition loans. I mean, reinsurance means that uh, you get an insurance to the uh, payment of a premium uh, in good times and basically in bad times, you have resources which could be used to back your uh, national unemployment schemes without having to repay loans. These are two basic differences among potentially many others, which I think make the two uh, schemes, the two mechanisms complementary, potentially, rather than alternative to each other. That's a very good point, actually. And I was wondering if uh, instead of in creating a new instrument that uh, focuses on the reinsurance and on the unemployed mostly, whether it would make sense to expand the instrument that, that is there somehow and allow member state to demand uh, to use the envelope that hopefully will be increased and made permanent with insurer also for unemployment related matter because at, at the moment there has been a, a big variety among the type of policies that member states have put forward the commission in order to use sure including one-off measure for the self-employed and if i look at the future um, it is true like maintaining the income of the employed people will probably remain a priority but not as relevant as taking care of a little bit of the income of those that will be left without a job. 
because for, for all this period we had a big ban on firing people also it was impossible for companies to fail and go bankrupt so if i look at data if, if i look at the future the next months i think we have to expect a big surge uh, in, in unemployment and having a, a social and a fiscal instrument in place in that moment to maintain consumption you know, relatively high incomes, relatively uh, acceptable and adequate would be would be a good thing. So do you see it feasible to have actually somehow without a big new program just to fine tune, assure it, to make sure that also some, um, to, to a certain extent, unemployment uh, support can be included? This is a difficult question. Um, my main concern is on, on the resource side and on, on whether we want to have loans or we want to offer member states grants when they need it. I mean, if we were going to move um, towards a permanent show, probably the, the easiest way is that show becomes side linked to, to the EU budget, but on the side of it. A little bit like the, the mechanism for a balance of payment assistance that already uh, exist. And again, this is very exceptional. So a mechanism that can come in only in uh, very special circumstances. This may be different from thinking of, of a mechanism which can support member states facing very high unemployment. Um, so in, in this sense, it, it may be difficult to actually to design it and link it to, uh, to, to Shure, but we also need to consider what kind of objectives and in which context we would like the mechanism to, to come into play. Cinzia, we've discussed uh, about industrial policy, we've discussed about employment, and uh, if I look at the near future, it is most of these will be designed and uh, transformed by the national recovery and resilience plans financed by the next generation EU. So I know you are a special observer of the economic governance uh, of the European Union. So I would just would like to ask you uh, somehow a comment to understand where your optimism lies. Do we have some hopes that these plans will deliver on you know a job reach and better quality of jobs you mentioned also a sort of territorial cohesion are we going in the in this right direction for what you have seen so far will the commission able to steer the national plans in a way in which they can really deliver you know, inclusive labor market competitive and just industrial transition Somehow, what are your, your gut feelings, even without going into the specificity of national plans? But I'm, I'm sure that you have uh, your, your opinion on, on the overall recovery governance, not only on the fund. Yes, uh, indeed, this is, uh, this is going to be a major issue and something to, to monitor in the next months and, and years. I think there are two points. One is uh, uh, it's important to look at, at where we stand now in terms of, of economic situation, because this will, can make actually substantial difference uh, in what member states will be able to implement and the speed at which they can implement it. Now, the Commission released um, last week the new forecast for, for the year 2021, and this has been revised upwards, substantially upwards. So the expected growth rate for the EU in 2021 is 4.8, which is actually something which we, we have not seen for, for, for years. I mean, of course, we also need to, to remember that last year the economy went down on average more than eight points. Huh? Uh, so this is a rebound. Yet I think this is uh, 
there is a good sign which comes in terms of revising up. I mean, of course, then uh, this is very much based on the experience of the first quarter of 2021. And uh, unfortunately, now the situation in terms of spreading of the pandemic is, is changing again with a, a strong increase in, in contagions. So we really need to, to see to, to what extent this is going to, um, to affect the, the economic recovery. But what we are seeing now, I mean, the, the bottom line, let, let's remain optimistic, uh, even if downside uh, risks um, remain. That if the economy is actually able to, to recover and uh, unemployment is actually going down, which this is what we are seeing. Huh? Also, Eurostat uh, released uh, them had the new statistics and unemployment is, is, is declining. Member states may be in a better um, uh, situation, actually, uh, to design uh, policies which are not driven by, again, responding uh, to a shock, but thinking of the more long term, which is strongly needed. We really need to, to think of the, the longer term in, instead of uh, just thinking of, uh, uh, of tomorrow after tomorrow. Now, when, when it comes to the national plans, basically most of the member states have already prepared the plans. The commission is, is assessing uh, the plans and then it, it will be up to the council actually uh, to put the stamp on the, on the national uh, plans to, to spend the money. And I think when it comes really to, um, to the essence, these plans are about funds, investment and reforms. And uh, the Commission is, is providing broad lines in, in terms of shares of uh, um, resources which have to be spent in green and in digital. But member states still have a lot of freedom, a lot of, of choices uh, to make on how to spend the money. And what we do not have very clear at the moment is actually what the green investment means in the different member states, what a green investment means in Italy or in Germany. And here we already know that in, in Germany, green investment basically is very much linked to automotive sector. Uh, which is, is a main driver of, of the economy. Uh, in Italy, what we know is that uh, greening the economy means investing in, in railways to replace cars. So the, this is the, just a very simple uh, example to, to explain that we really need to understand how this money will, will be spent and how digital and green investment are actually understood uh, by the member states and, and what will deliver um, in practice. Cinzia, I really hope we will remain in touch also to exchange more on these topics of assessing the implementation of the recovery of the recovery plans. Certainly, we will remain uh, in touch to discuss again the job and skills angle of the industrial strategy. And thanks for the contribution of SEPS in this great task force. Uh, I thank uh, all of you and see you in the next episode. Thanks, David. Many thanks to, to all for listening. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned. <laughs>